0: Anywho, let's get uh, let started. I was trying to do a few, uh, a few cool technical tricks, but it wasn't working. So welcome to One-on-One with Coach Blue. We're a day late because uh, there's so much going on. And um, a lot of this was specifically, I, I need to get this information out. I need to record it for the podcast. And um, I think no better way than to deliver it through the One-on-One platform. And um, if you would like to jump on, and if you'd like to be part of the discussion because I think that this is gonna be a very different one-on-one with Coach Blue, everybody. I'm kind of gut checked, you guys, a little bit about what we learned yesterday. And um, I'm hoping that we can get into some good dialogue about what, uh, what this looks like in real time the information that you heard yesterday let's just jump into it uh we'll do we'll do all of our our introductions our thanks our website all that stuff later because today i want to jump into it. i don't have a lot of time with you guys i don't want to make sure that we use it very wisely because there's so much i want to cover today um having internalized a lot about what we talked about yesterday in that little eight minute video specifically about the tremendous increase we've seen over the last year um due to uh you know some of the pandemic obviously that's increased um, overdose uh, death rates uh, 30, um, 30%, 30 which is, I, it's, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Um, pretty passionate video yesterday. If you haven't seen that, go check that out and jump back on here. But I wanted to touch base with all of you to start giving maybe some insights, some deeper insight as to what the flip is happening. And like someone mentioned uh, that commented on that video yesterday, what are we gonna do about it? Because a lot of times it feels like it's such a big, um, overpowering giant that we just, we can't. We're just kind of subordinate to it. And it, uh, it ends up being, it is what it is. I hate that mindset. I think it's a terrible uh, way to look at life. Well, it is what it is. It shows a lack of understanding that you have the power to change your world, your life, and you're just settling. So if you've ever been a group of mine, you know that if you use that term, it's, uh, it's, it's not good. You know, we get it. We get into a, a little bit of a, a battle on that, but I know it's a figure of speech. So what do we do? Let's uh, let's jump into this because we've got a lot to share. And if you're listening to this via the podcast after the original air date here, um, to, hopefully I can link in some of the the uh, um, websites that we're going to use today because you you athletes, you listeners, everybody in between, we've got to start peeling back the the layers to to a lot of this as to the why and the solution. This has got to be an open conversation that we have because I don't have all the solutions. Uh, That's a lot of faith you guys put in me if you think that I do. Um, But I think we all can tell what's not working because that's the easy thing to do is to point out the stuff that's not working. Um, And there's a lot that we can point at that's not working. And there's a lot of barriers that uh, are placed before people. And I want to jump into it. I want to show you how difficult, how challenging it is to not only find help, but to find the right modality of care to find out, like, are you being swindled out of uh, your money? If you're jumping into situations of long-term treatment, what do you get for the, 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 you know, the, the value of your dollar? Um, what guarantees are there? What is all of the hoops you have to jump through? What are the insurance companies saying, but not doing there's, there's a lot of, of uh, layers to this. And um you're going to hear a lot of opinion that comes straight from me that is my opinion and my opinion only and does not reflect the view of the, uh, the remaining part of the Addict Athletes Board um, to certain athletes who participate on this team. This is my understanding and my w- desire to make something better out of something that's going horribly wrong. Um, and we're running out of time. Uh, let's jump into it. Okay, I'm going to switch over so you guys can see some of the stuff that we're going to be going over. So if you're watching this live, if you're watching this on YouTube. You guys have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, if you are listening to this on the podcast, um, I highly recommend jumping onto the YouTube or the Facebook archives to find this specific podcast so that you can see some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about because we're going to be doing some um, some screen sharing here. So. Let's just do the. Let's just go to the the whole the whole kit and caboodle here. All right. So let's jump into what we talked about yesterday because I think this is a good place to start, everybody. Um, Let's look at at the report that came out yesterday from the CDC that says uh, that drug overdose deaths hit an all-time record for 2020, resulting in just over because there is over 93,300 people. Um, I think this is kind of mind-boggling to me. Um, and let's jump into the why, right? I'll read it straight out. This is from Axios, who actually got this, uh, this depiction from the Washington Post, which we'll connect to, but it says deaths from overdose, drug overdose in the United States soared to nearly 30% in 2020, reaching a high record of 93,331 people gone, according to the provisional study um, that was released on Wednesday. So talk about why does it matter? Well, because it represents the sharpest increase that we've seen in over three decades, people. That is nuts. OK, so there was an estimated, um, you know, 72,151 deaths from drug overdoses in 2019, all the way up to 92,000. Now, we can blame the pandemic. We, we really can because, you know, stimulus checks come out. I heard a lot of people that uh, got their, their stimulus checks. That was a time that they started to relapse and they got lots and they got you know multiple increments of it. Um, I'm not saying that it's because of, of the, uh, the, uh, the stimulus checks that that happened, but when you have instant cash and you are kind of worried and concerned about your financial future, your future in general, um, yeah, it makes some sense. People have access to money they may not have had. Um, so we can get into a lot of the variables that aside the systems, the situations, and the things that should have been in place prior to all this that could have helped maybe take us some edge off of this through the Trump administration, through um, you know, Obama's administration, things of that nature, um, didn't quite hold up to, the, to the, the dam that broke, did it? So I love the fact that we get into these situations where we start looking to the government to help, help us. And um, I think time and time again, we see that they can only do so much because really, um, there's so much that has to be done. Each cycle of these four-year presidency terms, and if you're lucky enough to get, uh, to get two, um, only begins the process and then comes the next administration that systematically wants to de- uh, you know, deconstruct everything that was done previously. And so we're constantly reinventing the will. And this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I, you know, I mean, there are elected officials I get, there's cabinet members of those things, but when we're restructuring and restructuring and restructuring, when does anything flip and get done? Um, no, there's, there's the number one, I guess, uh, little hole in the system is that restructuring too much. We're not getting anything to be like long-term. Let's get back to this. So I wanna jump into this overdose deaths because um, it, it gets into some significant understanding of what's really going on. So, you know, from all of these records the Washington Post did a great job of detailing some of the, the situations that reflect the, um, uh, the coronavirus having a major, uh, I guess, uh, problem, you know, that, that increased. Um, and it came to no surprise to all of us who are in the industry that this was gonna happen. Um, but the surprise was how many, how much, um, we start kind of peeling away the layers and start trying to figure out what is really going on. Almost 1 million people. You guys have to understand that is, that is like 255 people a day. That's 10 people an hour gone every day. Um, I love terms like um, prevention and awareness. I think we say, you know what, we're going to do this run for mental health and addiction awareness. Uh, We're aware there's a huge problem. But when we're constantly bringing awareness, we're part of the problem because we're not doing anything. And I've had a lot of thought about this recently about, you know what, a lot of the stuff we do is awareness. But what is that? Just talking about the problem? we got to start doing, which is why I need your help. I need you guys to start jumping in here and start coming up with solutions because the troops aren't coming, we're the troops. We're losing 255 people a day, 10 people an hour to drug addiction, okay? Um, huge problem. Everyone who can hear this voice, it doesn't matter if it's right now or if it's 10 years from now, if it's it's the year 2031 and you're listening to Coach Blue and you're like, wow, this guy, he really knew what he was talking about back then. Everyone that can hear the, the sound of my voice has someone in their life that struggles with addiction. And I'm betting dollars to dimes, a family member that struggles whether it's a brother, sister, mother, father, uncle, grandparent, aunt, whatever, you all have someone that struggles. So you can't just turn the cheek and be like, you know, those you know, those, 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 drug addicts, those, those horrible people, because you've got some in your family too. It is that prevalent. And, and every person that does, I challenge you to walk up to anyone, and you know, cashier, um, person pumping gas and saying, hey, you know, personal question for you. Does anybody in your family struggle with addiction? They're going to say, yeah, especially if they take it serious, because we all do. So let's get that concept out of our minds that this isn't just a problem that affects people that, that quote unquote, we think choose to use. This is for everybody. And the thing you have to understand, too, is that this isn't just like, like illicit drug use, people. This is also accidental overdoses. This is also like situational issues. This is also, you know, like like, like, like there's so many factors to this that um, we can't just say, well, it's the drug addict that's sitting, you know, the homeless person in Venice Beach that's just uh, you know, living his best life and wakes up dead. No, that's not what this is. And I think we can point to things that we've seen increase, like the fentanyl program, or, you know, that that, uh, that seems like, you know, your uh, uh, Asian countries are trying to get us going on so that they can sell more um, cocaine overdoses, methamphetamine overdoses. Um, it's all increased, okay? And at the same time, we're still trying to come up with ideas and strategies to help remove some of the opiate-based medication by saying, well, let's just jump in and make marijuana the, the leading, I guess, front runner for pain management, for pain uh, you know, uh, treatments. That's not what it's for, you guys. And I know you can use it for that because when you're using anything, you can pretty much forget about lots of stuff. Um, THC marijuana is not going to solve the opiate epidemic. I, I I don't know if this is going to be too hard for people to hear, but it won't. Um, it may it may edge a few, but it's not going to solve this issue. I guarantee you, it's just not. It's the same thing as why alcohol sales are still going to be very high, even though now we have marijuana coming in. And and I'm and I'm with that process. I need you guys to understand. I'm not against THC. I'm not against marijuana. Um, I think with what you're seeing, even today. As, as the government is saying, let's lighten the, the consequences federally so that we can knock off the, the, the childlike behavior here and start treating it with adult-like mindsets, I'm down for that. Because as you'll see as we go through this, some of the, the solutions to some of this problem is pulling our heads out and start acting like adults instead of like kids with, their, with, uh, you know, with, with all of our agendas that we want to push through. And in order to do that, we have to start acting like adults and that's going to be hard because you know again we want what we want when we want it and it's not just you know in a mindset of addiction but it's also just like who we are as individuals so you know um we gotta start taking a very adult look at this because if we keep pointing the fingers like i've done gonna have zero solutions so let's 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 take a look at this okay um all all addictions this isn't just opiates we, we focus a lot on opiates and and i want to shift gears because um addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer meaning it doesn't matter what you're taking if you're taking too much of it you become addicted to the point where you have lost control and you are looking down the barrel of of a a gun that's going to take your life sooner or later The the chances of you being able to overcome that without intervention, very, very rare. But it's the intervention that I have a little bit of problem with. And we wonder why why 93,000 people dying when we have 93,000 places to go to treatment? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. The treatment industry. If you haven't heard the podcast I've done with Ryan Ward, you have to go back and listen and get yourself involved with this because... I don't know why, and this isn't everyone, I need this disclaimer to be very, very clear, okay? All treatment centers are not created equal, but they are businesses that want to make money. Like it or not, I I owned a treatment center for a period of time, Thank heavens that that's a past life now, and I will never involve myself in that again because of some of the, the ugliness that is in there, but it's a business, okay? We have businesses Addict to athlete is a nonprofit business right and hopefully we can continue to produce and an increase um by taking what we need to to do things like these podcasts to take away time from my, my my big boy job to do this kind of stuff because i feel like this is going to be better but we are gonna wrap our heads around the fact that we definitely have a business mindset when it comes to addiction recovery Any place you can make money, and I'm talking big money, comes the risk of people getting too involved in it to the point where they start getting and doing things that are ugly and fraudulent and bad. Up until several years ago, the industry was being run by people who just wanted the almighty dollar and would do anything from from, uh, from patient brokering to charging astronomical amounts of insurance reimbursements for things like UAs. And um, John Oliver uh, does a very deep dive a couple of years ago on treatment centers specifically with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the golden flow there of how much people could get reimbursed for UAs. And what it did is it took the people that were in it to try and make as much money as possible. And it drew a lot of shady, ugly people into this industry and it tainted and ruined a lot of the outcomes. And what was the result? Will we still have an increase every year? And in 2020, we had 93,331 people that died because they, they continued to use. So, the treatment industry needs to be revamped. I've noticed something, and there are some good treatment centers out there, and there are some very horrible ones. I am not going to advocate on either side, but I need you, the recipient of such help, to understand that there are some things you're going to want to know before you start investing because... You're already in a situation where if you have heavy addiction, the possibility of you being able to have yourself in a financial position to pay is out of, is, it's out of the stratosphere. There, there, you guys, there is such a variation of how much treatment centers cost. I tried to do a Google search for you guys, and that's why we're starting. late. I started this at noon. You cannot find an average cost of treatment in the United States of America. Because every time you try to Google something like that, a funny thing happens. Watch. I'll show you right now. Average cost of, let's say, addiction treatment. You see I'm Googling it, right? Just grab one. Um, Average cost of addiction treatment. Well, what happens is boom, government steps in right first, says, Here, you need help, call this number, we'll find a treatment center for you. I started checking on these, you know, uh, the addiction center. First one pops up, you're like, Yeah, don't see the ad thing there. So you're thinking, Okay, cool. You click on that, and you're like, Okay, let's see. Oh, this is a listing for a drug treatment center, not an average cost. So you're like, All right, well. I don't live in Nashville or Florida, so I'm not going to, to, to therapy or treatment there. You scroll down here and you're like, all right, average cost, let's go here. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, boom, rehabs.com. So this is a for-profit program that helps people find treatment. You call this number, typically you get somebody, they find out what region you're in and they funnel you to a different place. Well, that's not gonna work because all I wanna know is how much money do I have to draw into my bank account? Well, let's go down here. So you're like, okay, let's so You're going down here. And you're like, all right, how much does this cost? outpatient, and then we're like boom drug addiction or drug drug rehab.com there's there's no just basic information because everyone's leaning towards making that money that you're trying to find out for their program great strategy if you're in a business mindset horrible if you're trying to literally find help because nine times out of ten you'll call that number that you see there and you'll be sent to a dispatching facility where they'll say they'll, they'll see what website you're on they'll like oh So and so recovery. And then they'll say, I need to know how much this is. Again, Ryan Ward did a humongous deep dive on this where he called said numbers. And it's disgusting, you guys, because they don't care about what you're going through. They don't want the story. They want to know how much money can you bring to the table? What insurance do you have, if any? And then they'll tell you this is a huge problem. So, Already, these people who are on the verge of, of collapse, and who are you know rapidly approaching the ninety three thousand people now that don't make it every day, already they're hit with roadblocks because they don't know what they're doing. They're calling something that they're Googling. Google's a business too, and a funny thing I found out about 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 ads and stuff. And who knows? This will probably all get taken down because we're you know we're talking bad about some of the inner systems of some of these things. But after all that patient brokering and after all the shenanigans that some of these treatment centers did to people, um, the government stepped in and said, no, no, they need to be legit. They need to, people that that are doing this, you know, I know of a person, I kid you not, who made a fake treatment program, a fake, 100% fake, had zero ability, zero ability to bring any clients into his facility, AKA his home. And the crazy thing about this individual was as people would call, he'd say, well, you know what? I don't have, I don't have beds at my location. Well, no kidding. You don't really have a treatment program either, but I work really closely with so-and-so treatment center. I could probably get them to, to, to let you in there. They're a great facility and blah, blah, blah. And he says, let me give them a call. Let me see what they're doing. I'll have them contact you. That person called the treatment center that he, you know, he licked his finger, went down his his role and said, "Would you know, who's gonna pay me the most? That person would call the treatment center and said, Hey, I have a potential client for you. And this potential client's gonna pay lots of money. He's got great insurance. Um, you kick me back some finders fees here, and I'll funnel this person over to you. And that program, who's probably desperate and needing to fill their beds because they have overhead, they have their business, right? They do it. And what happens that person calls back that person who was looking for treatment and says, Hey, you know, again, thank you for reaching out to mine and I wish I wasn't full, but this program here go right ahead. They want to talk to you. Well, patient brokering is a disgusting thing. And this person, because he was so, I guess, early on in, in understanding how these intricacies work, guess whose program popped up first when you Googled treatment centers. He didn't even have a treatment center. It was fake. So when this started happening more on a nation a national scale, guess what happened? People started getting upset. People started figuring things out, and the government stepped in several years ago and said, "Not okay, patient brokering over," which is fantastic, right? And then the government said, "There's going to be this new thing," and you know, you know, invention. You know, they say you know, people invent things to fill the gaps when they see it. Well, I'm not sure what this is. But some people put their heads together and said, let's create a program where you pay us money, we legitify you, and then you can put your ads out there because we can verify that you're legit, literally called legit script. So you pay these premium programs who are making thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, not millions, pay for a middleman to kind of give you the the stamp of approval, but all it is is a is a pay-to-play thing. Again, it's still the same thing. You pay this person, they legitify you, and then now you can use Google Ads and Google Words, right? Well, nonprofits, where do they fit? You know, community support meetings. You know, I love Utah because of how many nonprofit organizations we have where people are, are huge hearts. They have huge hearts. People are willing to sacrifice their own time, their own talents, Um, to create. It's how Addict to Athlete started. It's how so many of these like programs, Addicted We Stand, um, um, uh, Addicts Fighting Back, uh, you know, um, Eastman Fitness. um, You know, there's, there's so many, there's, there's so many. Um, Fit to Recover, you know, um, I I love it because, you know, these guys are all doing things because they want to give back. But where do they fit in? Because like, I'll give you Addict to Athlete, for instance, okay? Nonprofit, guys, we make very little money. It's why we both, and I both have big boy jobs and big girl jobs is because this is, a, this is a part-time thing. It has been for 10 years. Thus, we're hoping to get grants. And I'll tell you about grants in a minute about why this is so crazy. But so we we go in there we're like, hey, we are a free community support group. You know, all of the income that we have goes back into our program. We help open chapters. We help... We help Christmas for kids at the end of the year. We 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 provide resources. We you know we've we've uh, subsidized uh, sober living things for people. We help people pay for their their licenses to get back. We've registered people for races, got them shoes. We do so much, um, but we're not bringing in a lot of money. And they're like, oh wow, you know like, you know we yeah you guys want to want to advertise that you have these these uh, resources and whatnot. Um, yeah, five hundred bucks to do this. I'm like, okay, but wait, we're, we're nonprofit. Right. And I'm like, we're not a treatment center. We're not treating addiction. We are supporting people in recovery. Yeah. Wow. Loophole. I guess we'd never really decided that because that's almost two years ago. And there's still no final decision on, can we advertise because of this legit script fiasco? It's crazy. So if again, it's a business, so wherever there's an ability to make money, it's going to be made. You know, again, I can't, can't be mad at that. It's genius. Obviously. There you go. So when you're trying to Google something as simple as how much do I have to save up before my loved one passes away to get into treatment? Or what kind of insurance do I have? And if I have insurance, will they pay? And then let's say, let's say that you don't have any financial ability to pay, but your program that you locate does take your insurance. Well, I wish that was the end all be all because, and again, this is very disturbing. I've seen and known of of programs where if you have a certain amount of of insurance and a high roller comes rolling in who has much better paying insurance, all of a sudden your program, you're done. And you're like, heck yeah, you graduated. Well, I've only been here for three weeks. Well, we got to need your bed. They're not going to tell you that. But this person who's bringing in lots of money versus this one who's not. And it's sad, but guess what? It's a business. I remember being on the receiving end of many consultation phone calls with insurance companies where we have to converse with, um, with professionals in the industry on the you know, who are advocating for the insurance, which makes sense. You want to make sure that if you are in treatment and the, and the, uh, uh, the insurance company is paying for that person, that they are getting what they need. Um, so they're getting things like uh, you know like like um, treatment plans and treatment goals and they're having enough therapeutic content to fill their day and and all these things are happening and being documented. One of the boringest parts about being a therapist working in the industry is doing notes but you have to have notes on everything and it makes sense. But there were times when I knew for a fact that some of the clients that I had were not ready to leave but because they were beginning to do better on paper, they're like, you know, line them up, ship them out, get rid of them. We're done. Now they can step down. And I remember talking with, with professionals pleading with them. I can't in good faith release this client. He's not done with his treatment plan yet. And it's a holiday weekend. He's going to go out and relapse. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll take it back to uh, to the partners. We'll, we'll find out. And then the insurance company tells the the, the people doing the uh, the paperwork. Yep. They're there. They're done. They don't want him to stay there. So, you guys, there's so many stupid loopholes like this, and I get it. I can't be upset because, again, if if people are paying into insurance and it seems to be draining exponentially through people getting treatment, um, I can understand why people want to protect their bottom line. It makes sense, but it tells me that we need to rehaul and overhaul the system. It's not working. You know, people... Get into treatment centers to, to buy them and to and to operate in them with I think intentions to do good. They want to help people, and that makes perfect sense. and I, And I love that. Um, but when money starts coming in, and, and you can see how much you can truly make, man, it, it can make people go rogue with it. And so, I understand where that happens. Um, there's, there's so much to this, but like this, say, so, so for instance, you, you look and say, how much does it cost? And you start going down this rabbit hole because they're all rabbit holes. And what you don't realize is that every one of these are based off of someone trying to make money, again, which makes sense. So you've got to do some heavy duty investing in time um, and, and be thorough with it, because if you're going to invest money in a treatment program, it has to be good. So rehabs.com right here it says between 14,000 and 27,000 for a 30 day program. For dollars or 27,000, now granted, there are treatment centers that operate on bare bones and there's some that are like on beaches and have the lap of luxury. You can get therapy and treatment and, and recovery anywhere you truly want to invest in it, whether it's on the beach. Or if it's in the desert, a lot of these things that these programs offer don't really boil down to much. I was talking to Dr. Paul years ago as we were mentoring about this situation that Maris and I were in in a treatment center, and he says, "Look, all the stuff that is, um, you know, the recreation, the environment, the the downtime stuff, you know, none of that even matters. It is the face-to-face in time." Like doing work, it's the group time, it's the individual group time, it's the individual therapy, it's the individual family, and it's the education groups, and that's it. Everything else, that's all fun. It's all it's all fun and games. So, if the core of the program isn't focused on, you know, getting these people from from A to B, then we have a problem. The thing is, is that most treatment centers now, in order to get licensed in said states, you have to follow some protocol that talk about practicing and operating in what's called a best practice theory, okay? So, best practice theory is kind of an interesting thing because what does it mean? Well, evidence-based treatment refers to treatment that is backed by scientific evidence, okay? So, scientific evidence. Scientific evidence is more of a biological process, more so than an emotional process. That's why... You hear that most people stay in treatment for 28 days because every medical professional and all the insurance companies and all the big wigs got together, and they did a big study scientifically, and they said after 28 days, your body's no longer physically dependent, so that's going to be about the level. Well, what about the emotional and the mental parts, right? It's going to take years, but of course, we don't want to keep people stuck in that. But the interesting thing about, about evidence-based treatment is it's pretty wide, but it's also very narrow meaning like addict to athlete, our model, as much as we're trying to do studies, it's not an evidence-based practice. We know it works just because we see it work, right? But when we try to submit for grants and things like that, they want evidence-based, which is kind of a crazy thing because it changes so much. How do you measure things that can't be measured? Like um, when I see the athletes cross the finish line. And they're just like energized, and they're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I loved being out there and the, the, the spirituality that I felt. How do you measure that? And how do you measure it repeatedly or repetitively, and, and repeat it so that you can start getting some numbers? Because everything's done by numbers. So the things that are evidence-based now are like therapeutic modalities are like mat medications that's why i'm starting to see a lot of the slide going over from medical model or, or probably from therapeutic model to medical model i forecast a time when a lot of the pro, private programs are no longer available and it goes through the medical model in order to get treatment for, for for addiction i mean think about that right if you're doing that and if you're going to to a doctor and the doctor prescribes and says look you're in you're in heavy you're in heavy here." Um, we need to remove you and not hospitalize you, but maybe we need some inpatient treatment. But you're only there to the point where the physical parts of you begin to recede. And then we put you back into place into a therapeutic system. And then that therapeutic model turns into, you know, maybe maybe a few, a little longer in what's called, uh, you know, uh, intensive you know, uh, inpatient. But then you go to something called PHP, which is like partial hospitalization. And then into IOP, get yourself out there And I think the faster we can move people into a situation where they can have their freedoms reestablished with the correct support, because it's not great and there's not a ton of money in the IOP. That means like intensive outpatient program, meaning that they have a life and they come to treatment in the day or at night, whatever fits their schedule. And then they go home back into their environment. So IOP and GOP, which is general outpatient this happens way after all the glorious, expensive kind of heavy duty. We need to keep you here as long as we can m- mentality in residential treatment. But as the investment it also decreases, so does the interaction, meaning like, like it or not, you go from 24 seven in residential down to maybe you know, nine or six a week hours. Right. There's a huge gap there. And so it's it's harder. It actually takes more investment if you want to do it correctly when they are in IOP and GOP than it ever will when they're in residential. So it's kind of a funny thing, right? When, when we're in residential, they need tons of support because it's required. If you're going to justify that level of care and that much money, you've got to give them everything in the kitchen sink. But when they step down, you're only required to do a certain amount of hours, but that's when they need more help. So I think our system's a little bit weird here. So I foresee a, a, a situation where medical steps in and start doing more because therapists and medical doctors have always kind of been at this weird kind of like standoffish kind of platform. Thank heavens. I've worked with some amazing doctors uh, that have not only listened to feedback, but taught me some amazing things about medications, about MAT, about what to look for. Um, I've had some doctors that are so pompous that they don't even want you to like mention their name because they are the gods of, of of this. Well, okay, you went to you went to school a little longer. You certainly get paid more than me, but I get to see this person every day. You get to see him on his doctor's appointments and and hopefully read some notes. But the crazy part about that, when you get a good, strong medical model, and, I, and they're out there, there's some here in Utah that I'm like, very, very good. Um, you know, again, uh, you want to listen to a good doctor that knows a lot about MAT, right? Jump onto our podcast, you, you'll you'll find um, uh, Blake Rapier who is an amazing individual in this industry, um, who gets it. Uh, when I listened to, when I was able to interview Blake, his podcast changed my life, just because I'm like, ah, he gets it. So, they're out there, but you got to do—you gotta dig deep. You got to find the stuff. So, that being said, evidence-based treatment. So, you go to a program that, say, um, uses a community program, much like what you see in 12 Steps, as their baseline for their program. We have a little bit of a problem in my eyes, you guys, because if you take what's already out there for free and structure your program around it, not only are you ruining the outlet that is, a recovery-based community that's supposed to be anonymous, that's supposed to be, um, uh, you know, like um, um, very linear in, in its progression, and you go through there and you try to to use, you know, their, their traditions against them, I think that's a little bit bizarre. Why in the world would you pay for something that you can get every day at almost every church or, or, or location in, in the city you live in for free? The 12 steps are so genuine and so real that if you authentically work them, it's guaranteed to work. But it takes an awful lot of work, and a lot of times we don't want that. We want a pill. We want a solution. We want something done to us fast so that we don't have to worry about it. And that's the problem, you guys, because, again, you can get clean digging post holes for a fence in the middle of the desert and finding the principles in, in the work ethic and the integrity of a job well done just as much as you can on the beach on in hawaii spending you know 80 grand a month it's 100 up to you the problem now is that we start this funny little thing in addiction recovery outside of treatment with community support groups that's called turf guarding it happened when addict to athlete began 10 years ago um and it's a hoot because With 93,000 people dying every year, 255 people dying every day, there's enough to go around. We don't have to have exclusive deals with someone's treatment and someone's path to sobriety. I welcome when people use the 12 steps and they use Addict to Athlete and they use Smart Recovery and they use the programs that they're at and they use their private therapist. Man, that's the coolest thing. But when we start Curve guarding. I got a a call from, uh, well, I didn't. Marissa received a call from uh, one of our athletes who just moved back east. And he was hurting. He was struggling. New environment, had a lot in his heart. Looks in the phone book, finds a meeting, shows up. But it's the wrong substance. They look at him. They're like, nope. Sorry, man. You got to only have this addiction to come into this room. So kick rocks. He's like, dude, this is the only meeting I can go to. This is it. And he's like, sorry, man. We don't share the same addiction. kick rocks. You guys, that is weird. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard of. And I think Dr. Bob and Bill would be pretty pissed if they walked in and saw this guy given uh, the number on someone that just needed help. Well, you can come in, just don't say anything. Oh, well, that makes me feel super welcome. Thanks a ton ridiculous there so much has to change people what happens if in a new environment new situation that athlete of ours goes to that meeting and he's like you're not welcome here you don't use the same stuff we do you're a bigger loser you kick rocks and then he becomes number 233 overdose of that day no one's gonna care right Another number, we got to change the way we're doing things, we got to change the way we're looking at things. We got you know, again, we have to have these adult conversations. There are no easy solutions to this, but if we don't start talking about the reality of what you're all facing, we'll all be afraid that we got to protect our careers and we got to hide from the truth. Because you know, well, if Lou's talking about this stuff, let's say that he wants to get a job somewhere, they're gonna be like, Hey, remember that podcast you did about wrecking all of us? No, I don't think you want to work here that's a weird mentality to have because the integrity based part of all this is where I think the true, uh, I guess strength lies. You know, I remember talking to a guy who was, who was writing books. He wrote a, he wrote a book. Um, and then, uh, he was speaking a ton, had a ton of speaking. I did a couple of speaking engagements with him. And he was telling me, he's like, blue, I'm writing a book on the intricacies of addiction treatment and it's going to blacklist me in the industry. And I've never seen that book come out yet. I wonder why. Right. Nothing here is good, nothing here is bad, you guys. It just is. And if we don't point it out and we don't start coming up with solutions, then we're just pointing fingers. And I noticed that's what I did yesterday. Someone asked me that question. You know, what do you well, well, yeah, What are we gonna do? We'll get to that. Evidence-based treatment. Okay, evidence-based treatment means that that guess what treatment programs. You got to slap yourself into the 21st century and realize that part of evidence-based treatment is this thing called MAT, Medicated Assisted Therapy. We have tons of podcasts on this. Go check them out. When you try to rapidly detox somebody off of something that's going to save their life and then shove them back out there, and the minute they start facing some crisis, guess what happens? They go back to it. So you might want to reestablish the way that you see things because of your own personal points of view. It seems like getting kicked out of a treatment center because they get caught smoking when really, I'm glad they're out there having a cigarette and they're not out there shooting heroin. It's about kicking people out of treatment when they start exhibiting attributes of their addiction. So instead of like kicking them out, how about you increase your therapeutic investment, your therapeutic involvement? How about you separate that individual and find out why it's going on? People don't like me at all as a therapist in those situations because we'll go toe to toe. And I'll call them out on the rug and they'll be so pissed and so angry. And then once we start shifting into that, okay, now knock off the bullshit, knock it off, and let's get to what's really going on. And they start opening up, change happens. Subsequently, that's why we no longer work at a treatment center, because that was the easiest attribute to attack me with. And it was, you are so mean to all the clients, they hate you. Okay, noted. But a funny thing happened right after I was told that. Every staff member, every client, they reached out and said, dude, where'd you go? What happened? What the heck? Ah, noted. Gotcha. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, you know what? Just tell me the truth. Just say, you know what, man? Your your guys' approach, it's not what we want to do. We want to take the different route. We want to take the easy route. We don't want to do more. We want to do less. Tell me that because I'm very confrontational. You know why? Because I care. I'm willing to sacrifice relationships. If it means you can prove me wrong. I love that more than anything. I don't have to be right. And even more so I love it because there's real investments there. And you know how I know that is because all of those clients, all of them, they still participate on the team. And even the ones that have to go back into treatment and find resources elsewhere. Like the one I just told you about that had to move back to back East. Um, they had to go back to those kind of situations in those places. And they're like, you know, yeah, it's hard, man. Blue, we can tell you care. So there are therapeutic programs in Utah that I know beat at the same rhythm with that heart. And there's some that don't, you know, um, it takes, it takes a lot to, to, to let this stuff go. But even more so to understand that evidence-based treatment means that you're going to change the way you're approaching things. You're going to change the way things are going. Because you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And that's one of the most beautiful, eloquent things about when things start to work is that the doctor's on point, the therapists are on point, the clients are on point. There's this culture of healing and rehabilitation. And then there's this support afterwards, you know that uh, you know, one thing that's always intriguing me about this team is that because of the relationships they build here build here, people keep coming back. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what relationships they build here. We have people that have been here for 10 years. Why? Because they're real relationships. Um, I know treatment programs operate the same way. And there's this camaraderie and this longevity of the relationships that are just, are amazing. And the culture they have of like, if you're hurting, you come back, check in, you know, um, the industry's hard though you guys it's a hard industry to be a therapist in to be you know a a, a marketer in because there's so much challenge right um that's that's why i'll never get back into that industry it's it's not worth it to me i'd much rather do it this way and help point people in, in in the way that i feel i can help them best than to try and and help them uh i i guess uh invest time that they could probably use better elsewhere. I didn't like I didn't like that aspect. Let's get back into this, okay? So we look at this evidence-based treatment. We start looking down here, and we start thinking, okay, well, what is, what is this? This is you know getting down into some things like MAT, some therapeutic modalities. But in order to do that, you have to find a treatment center that has best practices, okay? And that's not easy to do because they'll all tell you that they have all kinds of statistics on how much their success rate is, and no one can tell you that because. In order to do that they have to have these outcome studies after treatment you know how hard it is to find people after they've left treatment specifically if they didn't have the best experience there or maybe they had a wonderful experience but but are done and want to move on with life and every six months they get this phone call and i know that it's one of the hardest things for people that that really do like put in the work to find this stuff is to have people like reinvest and and say hey How you doing after a year? How you doing after a year and six months? How you doing after two years? Pretty soon it's like, would you, I'm I'm, I'm done. You know, or they're so embarrassed because something's happened. They don't want to disappoint you. So guess what? Believe it or not. They lie. They tell you what you want to hear. And then we take all those numbers and we're like evidence-based practice. Check this out. No, it's not. It's not at all. You know, mercy and I are coming up with this with this stuff because in order to in order to apply for grants, which you know it's funny, everyone says, "You know, 501c3 is going for grants." We've written tons of grants, you know, and the hardest thing is finding a grant writer. These people are like elusive, and so we have to learn everything ourselves, which takes more time and more investment and all this stuff. Um, and it's interesting because the grants that we go out for, it's a hoot. And I'm not saying that I'm bitter, but I'm just curious because when we missed out on some of these grants, I thought, man, we had really good ideas. It's because we're doing too much. So I made a little funny thing about the CDC yesterday and I used the word prevention, prevention in drug addiction is funny. It's a funny thing because it's always this preemptive strike. It's like the dare program or the just say no program that really only reaches the people that won't do it in the first place. And so I love prevention, but I think again, we need to restructure the way this is doing it instead of like, showing up with some water bottles and some soft footballs and throwing into people in parades and stuff, we got to start looking at different ways to do this. Action oriented investments in your community. Okay. Um, And I like it, but I'm telling you, I've seen notes where we've lost out grants and had these things to train sober coaches, to open community programs, to, to, to get chapters open, to start strengthening communities by, by parent child relationships. You know, you've seen it on team addict to athlete with our minor league, our minor league and our, and our athletes and parents runs deep. And, you know, having these, these, these activities, these investments, this education at their fingertips, our online program, it's all there at your fingertips. We need the grant money so we can continue to lessen the big boy job so we can keep creating for your benefit, right? And so when we don't get it, it's a little bit of a sting. But then we find out that the reason we didn't get it is because it was going to somewhere else. And then we start finding out that for months, some of the dialogue is what kind of font to use on a sign they're going to hang up. What? Meanwhile, 255 people a day. You Guys, it's hard to fathom, it's hard to swallow. Things have to change. And I know the people that are making those signs, they're doing it for a reason, they're doing it for a purpose. But that should take 35 minutes at tops. Then let's move on to the next. Let's help. Our communities are crumbling. Our society is crumbling. You know, where are we gonna put this sign? Where are we gonna hang it? You know, we've made many signs on Team Eddie Athlete. They keep getting stolen. I have no idea why, right? It must be must be cool signs. I'm just like, it, it's crazy because the whole system needs to be overhauled. So we're in here doing evidence-based treatment. We're trying to find methods and, and outlets and stuff. So I'm thinking, all right, well, so then what is the current administration doing? What are they doing to help us? Because, and I gotta probably wrap this up soon because I'm probably driving you guys nuts. You know, and on a connection there with that, that that uh, you know, that huge CDC release. Well, we get to find out what President Biden and 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 uh, you know, Vice President Harris's um uh, thoughts are what they want to do and this here is the problem folks is because every couple of years we get a new one of these because we keep changing now if you want to say well trump does a better job not really we I went back and reviewed all of his stuff too um lots of words very very little coming out you know and, and part of it is because if changes too fast you know when he came out and said we're going to change opiates we're going to do this we're going to research non-addictive ways and mentalities to help people and we're going to spend all this money guys in 2015 they were operating off an overdose death at a rate of 52,404 it, you know several years later 93,000 something's not working look at the numbers if you're a number kind of guy you like those kind of outcomes look at the numbers something's wrong so sorry if we would have started implementing some of these things and getting them out in, in full force, if we would have taken it as serious as we should have been, the 2020 pandemic and what we saw now wouldn't, shouldn't have been as hard as it was. There's no way. But if you start reading these drug policies, you start seeing it's not about helping everybody. There's a lot of weird stuff mixed in. And don't get me wrong. It needs to be. But drug overdoses are now the leading cause of injury. In 2015, by the way, President Trump. Um, outnumbering both traffic, you know, accidents and gun-related deaths. Okay, i pretty, pretty serious because this is even an increase from when we started kind of calculating. And I know, again, you know, I don't want to use that number as a modality to put you in fear. Just like I'm so glad that that stupid sign on I-15 is now gone that says, there are so and so many people in Utah that have died over the last year. You guys, that number was never correct and was always false because it was given off of false information because this stuff doesn't come out in real time. That was there as a scare tactic to scare the shit out of you so that you would go spend the money to get help. And it worked. It's great marketing, I'm telling you. I looked at that more than I ever did when I was looking at the time and temperature. And now it's something else. Uh, it's, it's finally changed. It was never correct. And they said, Oh, yeah, I know what. No, on average, uh-uh. Because the thing that really pissed me off about that sign, guys, is when we started losing athletes. And when we lost Carly and I drove by the next day, and it had up ticked three, four, or five numbers. That made me even more angry because now they're just counting her as a number. They're not counting her as a real person, so I thought that's a very counter-inducive sign right there, so I'm glad it's gone. But when President Trump started figuring out we have a huge problem, we were only at a mere 52,000 people every year. Now we are so much higher, and what are we doing? Well, this represents a number of 175 deaths today, 2016. 2021, 2020, 255. We worried yet? This number exceeds Americans killed in in the Vietnam War. Oh, yes, tenfold now. And we go through all these scary statistics, but then it's like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? These are great statistics, and they're super scary, but what are we doing, right? Well, we're putting money into it. we got a billion dollars going here. we got $800 million going there. So why isn't anything going down? Where, where is it being disconnected at? we got to find out where it's being disconnected at. You know, is it going to programs to help hire more staff, to help op- operate bigger bigger facilities? What, what is it, right? Um, where's it going? I don't, I don't get this. And I don't think throwing money at the problem is going to make it better. Because obviously it's not. You look at what President Trump was doing. And again, not my favorite guy, but his heart was in the right place. I, I, I believe that. Or, or maybe even the people working with him, their hearts were in the right place. I get this. And then this is better than nothing by them saying, well, spend for yourselves. I get that. But I'm frustrated that it's not going down, you guys. It's getting worse. Um, and if some of these things that we could have implemented that he put out there was really enforced, we wouldn't have 93,000 people gone. We, we just wouldn't. So what is it, right? What is it? Well, you know, again, down here, you know, like, you know, the Department of Justice, you know, opiate fraud, you know, yeah, Pfizer, whatever, you know, um, Purdue, whatever. We, yeah, they, they got nailed, right? What you do. Because was it do? They're not going to hurt. They're not going to, they don't care. They they got so much money. They're going to be fine. They're going to be able to settle these things, lawsuits, and they're going to be fine. But meanwhile, we just keep increasing. And then we're like, well, we want to, you know, like really kind of going after these healthcare care fraud takedown. I'm all for that. Thank you, President Trump, for that. Yes, for sure. And then we want to start looking at, um, you know, taking down the Chinese fentanyl manufacturers and all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm not sure how great that's going. I don't, you don't hear too much news about that. Um, so who knows? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But if we have 93,000 people dying, something's still getting through. We want to secure the UN agreements by making it harder for criminals to get fentanyl, 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 fentanyl. That was a big deal, fentanyl, obviously. But again, guys, people, fentanyl is a a corner of the market. There's so many other things. This is talking about all substances. When this came out, we were right in the middle of the drug or the opiate epidemic. And because we're so focused on, on opiate epidemics, guess what happened? Methamphetamine overdoses increased. Cocaine overdoses. Everything else started popping up. So it's like, well... Shoot, it's like the, the little Dutch boy trying to put his fingers in the in the dam and the dike before it breaks. Is it's what this is. So my hat's off to him for, for doing these kind of things. But when it boils down to, I haven't seen much change in our world, you guys. I just, I just haven't. And so I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just saying, you know, well, what's going on. Same thing with the Biden and Harris uh, uh, thing. So this is their this is their solution right now. This came out yesterday with uh, with in regards to the the new numbers. And by April 1st, in their inaugural year. Okay. They want to expand access to evidence-based treatment. What the flip does that even mean? Okay. They want to increase access to people to get MAT. Fantastic. To get therapy? Fantastic. But what does it mean? Because that's a that's a very small, very small corner. Okay. Advanced racial equality issues uh, uh, that approach drug policy, they're doing that right now. The decriminalization of marijuana, I think, is a good idea, right? Punishing people into submission doesn't quite work, right? Might make us feel better at night, but it doesn't do anything in the long run. So I'm glad that this is starting to happen. And then again, enhancing evidence-based harm reduction efforts. What is that? Because I can tell you, right, as evidenced by the people that I know that use things like addict to athlete, like the 12 steps, like addicts fighting back, um, I can tell you through evidence that you can get by talking to them and by seeing them and by watching their social media posts and by seeing their families start to be reunited, that those things work. I can tell you evidence-based, you know, in my own mind, 12 steps works. But if the numbers aren't associated to it, eh, no, nope, sorry, we, we need like the, the brainiac stuff so we can put it up on a big pie chart and everybody can be happy about it supporting uh, evidence-based prevention uh, efforts to reduce youth substances. That's fantastic, but you're never going to get it with the youth. You have to go to the parents and you have to go to the family system, right? We do this podcast. Me and Savannah are minor leaguers. So many parents listen to that podcast with their kid. What a great conversation piece. How do you measure it? Downloads? How do we know if so-and-so download is it has a kid in the car, right? We get it. But what is that? Well, that's giving some squishy balls and some uh, hand sanitizers and some, so, some, some, uh, some foam fingers and saying, just say no guys, read this sign. It's dumb. It's not working. But then we have all these things of like, well, we can't, you know, go and tell parents how to raise their kids. No kidding. But if we start inviting families to say, Hey, come check this out, come do this, right on. It's a funny thing that happens every year uh, during the month of September was recovery month. And we have these um, these gatherings, we have these gatherings, uh, recovery days, and they're interesting. I love recovery days, it's interesting because you go there and it's not a community-based outlet anywhere, anywhere I've seen them, it's not. It's people in treatment programs, setting up booths for treatment centers, that uh, I guess are there for people in recovery to come look at very little public goes there. Why? Stigma, um, you know, advertise, who knows, right? We've got to start knocking down some of these walls and some of these barriers and start getting into the hearts of everyone. And, you know, it's, it's easy to think that when you're in a certain niche in the industry that this is all that's there, but it's not, there's so much more. This evidence-based prevention efforts to reduce youth substance use, that's not going to a school and having a dare week. That's not what this is about guys. It doesn't really work that well. I noticed when I started treating their parents with respect, guess what happened? Their kids started to come. One of the most amazing things, and how do you measure this? You can't. So, is it evidence-based? Meh, not really because we don't have numbers on it. Because we don't have numbers on it, you're not qualified for for grants and for support. Sweet. But I watched over 10 years when we started providing a place where people could come and bring their children because the conversations weren't f this f that and f you know this this environment f this culture and you know and, and it's, it's not smoking and drinking and 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 just lewd behavior it's about goals and it's about strength and it's about emotional authority and it's about spirituality and it's about connectedness and team building all of a sudden these 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 drug addicts started bringing their kids that's why we started the minor league and I can tell you, I've watched this now. I've watched several of our minor leaguers grow up never having touched or used alcohol or drugs because they watched what their parents went through. And now these kids are getting married. And now these kids are building relationships. And now they're going to school. And guess what? They are. They're champions because they understood what it was. It wasn't taboo and they saw the change because they all did it together. But if we go to the high schools and we say, just sign this petition to just say no and all this kind of stuff, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. We gotta, gotta do more. And we're always afraid about stepping on toes, and we're so afraid about like how we'll be perceived and garbage. Garbage. It's time to start looking at this like adults. Reducing the supply of illicit substances. This is a hoot because what does that really mean, right? This is like the Columbia planes flying over, dropping kilos of Coke on the border. Where do you think most of this stuff comes from? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there's still a lot going on over the border, but this is, there's there's more to this, you guys. This epidemic is not coming from, you know, like tunnels under the ground and, and you know, planes flying over the Midwest, this is about going right to the freaking uh, medicine cabinet in your own home. And this is about sneaking a few more bottles you know, from your parents' liquor stash. This isn't just all about a supply of illicit drugs. We're never going to stop illicit drugs. That's never going to happen. But what we can do is start erasing and replacing the need for or the want for it. Advancing recovery ready workplaces. This is a big one, right? But what does that mean? So many times I've seen people who have been honest with their employers uh, get like so much in return and then expanding access to recovery supported services. Hopefully that's like 12 step communities. That's like fit to recover. That's like addict to athlete. That's like addicts fighting back. Hopefully that's what that means. I don't know because apparently you have to be so in the know and know where to look to be able to access all this stuff and the paperwork and the hoops you got to jump through. It's like, really? This is one thing I've really loved about us being able to count so heavily on you who volunteer and who, who assist and who donate. So why we do our 5K every year um, is to give you something back. That's why I love the Patreon program we started, to do something to give it back to you so it's not like you're just giving it to us. This is all in here. I can let you guys go into it because he breaks it down on what it all looks like, but I, it boils down to, to this concept, you guys. We're missing. Since we started this podcast, we lost 13 people, 13 people have died from the beginning. I said, athletes, welcome till right now. That's insane. It's crazy. So what do we do? You want to join together and we'll all do 255 push-ups, like uh, a lot of the other programs do. You want to do 255 burpees. You want to do 255 miles of a run. What do you want to do to start bringing, um, I guess, this to the forefront? I'm not going to say awareness, but to show that you care. So I've been thinking about it, right? Because we got to get the word out. So I have an idea. And maybe it starts here. And that is, if we lose 10 people per hour right now, I'm challenging each of you to call, to bump into, to go visit, to make contact within the next hour, 10 people that you know need you Need you to say hi, need you to know that you invest. Need you to care. I'm asking you to start doing your part. If we lose 10 people an hour, message 10 people before the hour's over. Tell them you care. Invite them to a meeting. Tell them you're here to help. Point them to addict athlete, to fit to recover, to a 12-step meeting, to a sponsor, to a coach. Point them in a direction where they're going to get some help. So instead of doing awesome push-ups, great chin-ups, awesome burpees, 255 miles, let's, let's start making change. Start reaching out to people because no one else is going to. Go through your Facebook. I do this often. I go through my Facebook friends. I haven't seen so-and-so for so long. I say, hey, how you doing? I haven't heard from you. You guys doing okay? Message 10 people, text 10 people, call two people, instant message, you know, and and eight others. Make contact with at least 10 people within the next hour. I once heard this, and I think it's very true, that in our lifetimes, we have the capacity to be able to change 70,000 lives residually by the person, the people that we are, the people who we are. At that rate, you guys, it'd only take 8,000 people to change the world. It's not very many. So if we start doing our part and we start listing those 10 people that we need to reach out to, and I don't want you to post about it. I don't want you to, you know, this is on your own integrity if you're going to do it or not. It'll show the measure of who you are if you do. Or it'll also say, well, I'm still hoping that the troops come and help me out with this. It's not gonna work that way, guys. So if I'm asking you to do this, I'm gonna do it myself. Um in fact I've already started before this happened today because uh as I thought, what could I get the athletes to do to get behind it so they feel like they're doing something? 255 push-ups would be hard. I'm sure someone I'm sure I'm sure Tim and and uh Coach James, I'm sure you guys could do that, but I think more importantly, reach out, 10 people. That you might know need you. That you might not know need you. But because of your efforts, if we all do this, all almost 7,000 people on this team who hear this podcast, if we all do that, we're only 1,000 people away from changing the world. Think about that. And I love, I'm going to go back and read your comments. Sorry, I got, you guys, I got really high up on a soapbox. I apologize for that. Um, the discussion's not over. Um, there's a lot more we have to do, uh, share this podcast with anyone that, uh, is, is got the fire because we need them. We need the, we need the agents of recovery. The ones who really want to step up and say, all right, we have a little bit of a blue plan. Now let's build something off of it. Instead of having to go back to the drawing board, I want, uh, I want some dialogue. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. I know sometimes my, my heart gets much bigger than my ability and that's why we all need each other. Um, It's a great start, but, and again, money's not going to solve this. Um, Treatment's not going to solve this. It's going to be us reaching out to those who maybe we're being drawn to reach out to. If you want to post about the residual effect of all this, not who you did, not who you talked to, I'd love to know that. I'd love to know if it was like, well, that was a big waste of time, or if it was, wow, I never thought about that. The, 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 uh, The three people I've already reached out to today as I started getting this understanding and and whatnot, two of them have responded back and said, man, it's good to hear from you. I wouldn't have thought they would even care. So it works. We got work to do folks. Um, I don't want this to be a doom and gloom one either because I think that this is where we can rise to that challenge. And this is where our champion hearts can kind of start beating in the rhythm of growth, of understanding, of support. Um, I'm done turf guarding. I want everyone to participate in everything out there. Um, 12 Steps, other programs. Uh, if you have questions about treatment, let us know. We'll give you the ability to ask the questions that you need. But I will not tell you where to go or where not to go. I won't do that because that's not fair. And that's not what I want to be known for. I want you to make educated decisions and guesses um, because you know my stance on it. I think there's a, there's a more excellent way to have it done, but sometimes you have to have that intervention and if that's the case make sure you pick one that's going to give you the best return on your emotional investment be very cautious about the financial stuff it's hard we're all kind of in a little bit of a a problem right now because of that so let's not add to the financial distress athletes it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to spend the time with you today i was like i was like i'm gonna take questions all this look at this man i ran all over you guys i apologize for that let's keep the dialogue going let's keep the the, uh, um, the, the the Facebook chat up and running, and uh, if you guys want, maybe we can do a live panel Q and A with a few people around the state. I'd love to get some more people in here. Um, I want to really get one of my mentors in here, who taught me a lot about being very cautious about the way we approach things. Who was a great cyclist and friend of mine. I think Christy, you know who I'm talking about. So Richard, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be hunting for you, man, because I see it this way. And you have a very eloquent way of like seeing it another. So I'll be in touch with you. But athletes, I don't even feel it's appropriate to give it any of the, the kudos or the, the shout outs today. Because we all got work to do. We just have 10 people we got to contact. So let's not waste any more time. Until then, please turn the mess into a message. People need to hear it.